Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be recapping the Thunder's last two games. Going to be talking about Mamadi Daikite, Josh Giddy. Also going to be talking about some recent draft news and how it impacts the Oklahoma City Thunder. And to wrap things up, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But kicking things off, guys, I want to rewind to Wednesday night when the Thunder played in San Antonio against the San Antonio Spurs. This was a game that had like some sneaky implications for the reverse lottery standings because I believe there was only a one and a half game separation between the two teams. The Thunder entered this game with only, I believe, 13, 14 wins where the San Antonio Spurs, they pranced in with 16 wins. So even though you kind of imagine like Greg Popovich, right? Their teams are going to be solid. They got DeJounte, they got Derek White. They're always seeming to be like above water almost, but not really this season. And then for the OKC Thunder, like I mentioned, 14 wins. They're actually kind of doing better than what some people thought. They're staying in games. You're starting to see some breakthroughs across the board, Uh, but you go into this meeting and the Thunder struggle mightily and they struggle pretty early into the game. So the game starts out as per usual, right? Where kind of back and forth swings. The Thunder actually took a couple leads. I believe they were up two times by two points in the mid six minute mark, I believe, of the first quarter. And then it just tanked. No points were getting put on the board. There's a dry spell of maybe three, four minutes in the first. And then the San Antonio Spurs, they were really able to just notch, knock things up, you know, when it mattered to conclude the first. They were already up 32 to 22, getting a halftime. That lead is already inflated to 18 points. And the Thunder needed a lifeline. When you look at what was going on in this first half of play, there really wasn't much going on for the group as a whole, but also the stars, SGA, 4 of 13, that's not good in the slightest, only two foul shots to go with that, Josh Giddy shooting 3 out of 9, Lou Dort, 1 out of 8, this dude is as frigid as you can really get, and you have to rely on bench pieces, gotta rely on players like Aaron Wiggins, Trey Mann, to just surface something, so you know, all things considered, them dropping 51 by half was pretty darn good. But defensively, they just could not hold down the opposition. And I'll get into it in a second here. But, you know, when you kind of assess how this rotation worked for the Thunder, they opened things up with Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Aaron Wiggins at the four and five spots, respectively. Now, when I look at that, I don't think that's the best option. And Derek Favors would have been the best five. I said that in last podcast. He wasn't available for the game. So even if you rule him out, I do believe you give more run to a player like Mike Muscala, potentially. I know Isaiah Roby has been assigned to the OKC Blue, but if you knew kind of premeditated Favors would get pulled, I would have just brought him back and given him some time uh, because JRE facing guys like Jakob Pertle, and guys like Drew Eubanks even, that's not very good. And then Aaron Wiggins, who actually did a pretty good job in this first half. 
I didn't think it'd be a good matchup against Keldon. I thought Darius might have been the better choice, but Bayes got sent down to the bench and he was scoreless heading into the second half of play. And once you kick things off, it was kind of just the same old, same old for the San Antonio Spurs. They took the second half wire to wire, had a strong run in the fourth quarter that moved their lead, which was really 20 plus the entire way, up to 34 at its peak. And the Thunder chipped a little bit down on it end up losing this game 118 to 96 so 22 point loss goes in the book for them they remain with 14 wins san antonio elevates to 17 and they get out of there looking to go back home but this was a game like i said that was pretty damn faulty you look at some of the stars wasn't great bench pieces kind of had to be uh, the main presence and everything so you kind of check that out This was one of SGA's worst performances of the season. Now, I think it was against the Nuggets where, you know, he only got like eight points. Just nothing uh, could come from him. And it's because you really couldn't get to the foul line. Three-point shot has not been falling lately for the 23-year-old. And much of the same happened in the Lone Star State. He goes out... Shoots 5 of 21 from the floor. A lot of these takes are coming around the basket. You have to keep this in mind. Uh, And he shot 0 of 4 from distance. But kind of that kill shot that, uh, you know, makes an SGA game where he drops 20 points on bad efficiency and an SGA game where he gets 13 points on bad efficiency is the foul line. That's always sort of the silver lining that you have to look at when uh, checking his box score, just checking his play in general. And he was never able to check that second box. Always preach it. With SGA, always three elements. Paint play, three-point shot, and the foul line. Only was able to get one. And quite frankly, I don't think he checked any boxes because the paint play was not really a green light for him against uh, Derek White and against DeJounte Murray, who had a triple-double in this game, by the way. So he just got hounded. You only get to the charity stripe four times, hit three of those. So 13 points was not bad uh, when you kind of take everything into account. He was able to get some assists, in the mold, he had seven to go there. Josh Giddy was able to get eight. That was the team high. But really, everything starts and ends with SGA in some of these games. This was one where he had to take control of the basketball. That's always his duty. Um, but he just had to keep forcing things when nothing was really there. And with him not really looking to create on the ball with those three-point shots and really off the ball as well, it really just suffocated the Thunder in, the, uh, in their options on Wednesday. And to make it even worse, his co-star and Josh Giddy shot even worse. Well, actually not percentage-wise, but still was not pretty. Shot 4 of 16 from the field, 0 of 5 from distance. So you get a nice 0 of 9 coding from your top two. And you only got to the line for a pair. Hit one of them. So he gets 9 points, 11 rebounds, and 8 assists. So... He's in triple-double territory, even though this was arguably one of his worst games of the new calendar year as well. Um, So they just had to keep picking at things. Dort, too, he drops 15 points, but he also shoots 4 of 13. JRE only has 3 points and 9 rebounds across 27 minutes. And Darius Baisley, in his move to the bench, 
He only has six points and six boards going three of eight, oh of one from downtown. So kind of would like to forget about that most likely. Uh, and when you check out the big names and who was killing it, kind of all from the San Antonio Spurs end of things. I mentioned how DeJounte was able to garner his triple-double. 23, 10, and 14 was his stat line. Doug McDermott, surprisingly. I talked in the pod how I thought McDermott could like quietly get 12, 15. Definitely didn't think he'd cap at 20, but he did. 6 of 9 from 3 and only 21 minutes. And Keldon Johnson was pretty damn effective from downtown as well. Shot 3 of 5, got 13 points to go. And for the Spurs, not too bad from deep. 37% for them. OKC shot a measly 26% from deep. When you want to look at the bright spots from this game, there are some. Luckily, there are some. And it starts with Mark Dagnalt's typical bench unit. Now, Aaron Wiggins was a starter in this game. He did a great job on Keldon Johnson, I believe. Stopped an athlete in Johnson to being more that perimeter player. Now, he did succeed, but much rather test him uh, from deep as opposed to penetration game. And he was their best offensive player as well. So, both sides of the ball, I'd give Wiggins a lot of credit. Team high of 19 points. And the greatest part of all, shot 8 of 11 from the field. The efficiency from Aaron Wiggins is not really uh, something you find from anyone else on this basketball team. It's just how it is. The Thunder are very flaky, even for a guy like Lou Dort, a Josh Giddy, or an SGA. They are going 30 and 40% most of these games and getting a lot of shots at the foul line. With Aaron Wiggins, you really don't have that element to his game. He's going in the mid-range off the catch and shoot. He's just waiting for shots at the three. And if he does go inside... He's able to reap the rewards of those penetrations. All three levels, Wiggins has excelled. And because of it, you're starting to see he's just killing it everywhere. 8 of 11 for him. And when you check it out, that's the seventh time that he's had a performance shooting above 50% from the floor. And this isn't off of like a one shot sample size, you know. This is when he shoots five or more. So he's taking a hearty amount of shots in these games. And he's still being very successful. And when he had the bench stint, or he had the starting stint, excuse me, in December, looked amazing. Had four games where he was shooting above 50%. Checks back in the starting unit, just starts performing at uber-efficient levels yet again. So you have to tip your cap to him. And it reignites the starting conversation because Bayes did earn another shot, I believe, to start. Thought he should have started in the game that ultimately was a better decision to put him on the bench units. But now it's the conversation yet again, where Wiggins continues to step up. Definitely shouldn't have been the 55th pick in this draft class. And for Darius Baisley, the inconsistency has reappeared, even though, you know, the highs with him are very high and those lows can be very low. I don't think this is going to be a conversation that gets a definite answer. I think that it's still going to be filtration of Wiggins, of Baisley, and hell, even sometimes I think JRE could be that power forward uh, depending on the matchup. So even though Aaron Wiggins has been outclassing Baze in the starting unit, I don't know if that game really gives you the punctuation and that kind of kill shot to propel him to the starting five on a regular basis. Now, another member I want to talk about comes from the draft class. 
First round pick, selection number 18, Trey Mann. And he would have just been completely passed by if you checked the box score in this game. He ended up shooting three of seven in his 16 minutes, which is not great. However, those three makes three consecutive to start the game. So he's three of three. And he did it in five minutes. Seven points in those five that is very damn good and there's a reason he's coined a microwave we've seen it we know the tape this dude is crazy on between the legs just any sort of dribble move the way he's able to just get in and out of those are wild you know there's ones where it looks like his knee is about to touch the hardwood inches away from it his defender has to backpedal and what you have is a wide open mid-range or a three in some circumstances and off of a high ball screen or just off of self-creation he's able to get some nice floaters but we haven't seen a lot of play from him i think a lot of it has to do with ty jerome just emerging off of the bench lately but he was able to get his in those five minutes and that little flash for me was really just notable kind of makes you think like what could he be for this roster and the consensus is he's a six-man type of player he's that microwave he's that Jordan Clarkson that you might find and you know I can see it I think that one-on-one he is a very talented player and if you play him with someone like SGA you're probably not going to get him at his fullest now if you play half and half uh, I think you are going to get good return regardless playing him on the ball off the ball he can kind of do either Um, but yeah, I do understand the six man for right now. He's got to get his minutes back. And because he was a first rounder and because he's had his moments, I expect that to return to normal, his shots to return to normal, but kind of found your fourth guy lately in Ty Jerome anyways, averaged 7.1 points per game in the month of January. So I like him been hitting a lot of limitless range threes, kind of tie it together with those two in that second unit but another member in this second unit was great in san antonio and it comes from a player that some might not even remember you know what i mean like this is a 10-day signee and mamadi daikite and i've talked about him really praised him on this podcast in the last week or so uh, just because the circumstances the three months of the thunder kind of keeping tabs on him finally inking him after he gets done with his hip fracture And he had his best game yet in what concluded his first 10-day contract. Was able to get 19 minutes. That's a season high for him. And he added 8 points and 3 rebounds on 4 of 6 shooting. All 4 of those shots came in the paint. These are either off of dump-offs. One of them was actually a post-hook as well. And he's 6'9", so that's pretty damn impressive against a Spurs team. Has a lot of these big back-to-basket guys. The Jakob Pertles. The guys like Jock Landale. I don't think he even played that much, uh, to be frank with you. But just those types of guys. They have a lot of them. So I thought he held his weight there. I will say, box-out department, this was not the greatest game for Mamadi. However, he did get an offensive speed was really on full display. I love him as a high ball screen setter. I think as a rim runner, he's good there. That's where he was nice with the Lakeland Magic. And sometimes you could just give it to him at the wing and he was able to take it from point A to point B pretty damn proficiently. So I think he showed enough here to warrant that uh, an additional 10-day contract. The deal expired 
uh, actually going into Friday, but he was re-signed to a second deal immediately. So he's able to play in the Thunder's latest game against the Charlotte Hornets. This one's not on the hardship. This is a straight-up 10-day deal, so he will have to conclude this, and then the Thunder will be forced to have that ultimatum. Paul Watson Jr. right now has not looked great with the blue. He had his first game where he shot one of eight, just came off of a 15-point game, so a little bit better for him, but I still think a competition could be uh, in the cards just because Mamadi's 24. Thunder need a true center. He is one, and Paul Watson Jr. is 27 years old, been struggling a bit from distance, kind of where he was uh, supposed to be uh, assigned to as a catch-and-shoot player, but we will see how that unfolds in the next week. But before I get into the latest game against the Charlotte Hornets, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eight teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only eight teams are left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If you're not a new customer, you can experience the conference championships with same game parlays. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Here's what you to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, pivoting to the latest game in OKC. Facing up against the Charlotte Hornets. This is a game where you're lining back up with Wiggins and Jeremiah Robinson Earl solidifying that front court for the Charlotte Hornets. You're getting the best of them. They got LaMelo. Terry has been going on a tear. You have Bridges, Gordon Hayward, and Mason Plumley, And even off the bench, a couple nice pieces. P.J. Washington, Oubre, Jalen McDaniels, James Booknight. Hell, even J.T. Thor was suited up for this game. So you get a really nice blend here. I think just uh, not even on paper, but also just on tape. SGA versus LaMelo is a very nice matchup. You look at Giddy. You look at some of the other young pieces the Hornets have. uh, A guy like James Booknight. Did he play a lot? Eh, Not so much. But you can kind of start to see the stars align there. Anyways, though, you tip this game off, and it looks to be much the same from Wednesday. The Thunder get the first strike in the game. They have a two-point lead. And then you see the Charlotte Hornets tie it back up, and that's it. The Thunder never led after that 2-0 start. 
the Charlotte Hornets had a lead as high as 25 points, and they just rode into the sunset with this one. Now, you have to look at this. They, the Thunder did have a pretty good patch here because their big strikes of getting up 20 points came into the second quarter a couple times. They ended halftime up 20. But then the Thunder were able to tap the game back to single digits. Really didn't stand up that much. You started to see the Hornets kind of jump back in, swarm up, and it was back up to 20 in a heartbeat. Fourth quarter, more or less garbage time. That's when you got to see the Hornets unleash the James Book Knights, the Kai Jones, and the JT Thors into the playing field. So this was not a very good game for the OKC Thunder. Just a 38% output for them. And when you dissect the stats even further, another game where they were just ice cold from distance. Shooting below 30%, man. You cannot be doing that very often. Uh, definitely not against a team like the Hornets. Go 12 of 44, 27.3%. And then they could not get it going from the foul line. Just 15 attempts, hit 12 of them. That's not going to do it for you. They lose 121 to 98 in this game. Looking at the Charlotte Hornets, you didn't see a lot from LaMelo, actually. He got held back on offense, at least as a score, 4 of 12 in all, 2 of 6 from distance, 10 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. However, they had three different 20-point scores. Terry had 24, Miles Bridges had 22 and 14, and then off the bench, P.J. Washington, 20 points. He goes 6 of 10. All of those 10 attempts came from downtown, so he was on fire. And the thing with P.J., and it's so almost humorous, but whenever the Thunder play against P.J. Washington, it's just bad news. Like, it's almost the same as Isaiah Stort in his uh, rookie year last season, where he just posts ridiculous numbers. And P.J. Washington must love playing in Ricktown or facing him because he always turns it on. 20 points for him. Typically, this is a slasher when he plays the Thunder. Stuck right to the perimeter, took it as a game of shoot-around, and he passed with flying colors. So, good on them. I mean, they had it going really from start to finish. Never had this game really in jeopardy outside of the third quarter push. And when you look at the Thunder, you know, they really didn't have that many options to try to pick away uh, at the Hornets' lead. Now, you did get to see some very good production from the Stars here. SGA dropped 29 on 10 of 23 shooting, 8 of 9 from the uh, line. Not much from 3, though, yet again. Did not even take many shots from there. 1 of 3 for him, had 5 rebounds and 6 assists. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, double-double for him. 12 points, 11 rebounds, 5 of 8 from the floor, and 2 of 4 off of those beautiful pick-and-pop threes. Lou Dort wasn't feeling it, 1 of 7 for him. Aaron Wiggins, not feeling it, 2 of 8. Mike Muscala, 1 of 4. Baisley, 2 of uh, of 8. Trey Mann, 2 of 6. Jerome, 1 of 8. Kenrich, 2 of 7. Just so many different non-factors in the game from a shooting aspect. And Mamadi got some additional run, 11 minutes for him. Shot 1 of 2. But the one man that I didn't mention, Josh Giddy. He was arguably OKC's best player against the Hornets. Drops a career-high 21 points in the game. 9 rebounds and 3 assists. 
10 of 17 shooting for the Aussie. 17 shots for 21 points. That is not bad whatsoever. And, you know, when you look at it, um, you look at an SGA stat line, for instance, that's not really an oddity for someone to have more points than they have shots taken. But the one thing, Josh Giddy can't get to the foul line. He didn't even attempt one in this game. He didn't really have one in his 17-point triple-double against the Mavericks either, and he shot just one of four from distance, so he had to get pretty damn crafty to salvage those buckets up, but it was a real delight watching him play on Friday nights, and this 20-point outing has been a long time coming for Josh Giddy, just like the triple-double. He's had so many close calls. He finally got it at the Paycom against the Mavericks, just that perfect storm. But it was a lot of this continuous struggle leading into the game. He had eight different games dropping between 17 to 19 points going into the matchup against the Charlotte Hornets. He needed this one bad. And against them, 10 of 17, he was on fire. He was doing a lot of this work from the interior though. 104 from distance. One of those threes came at the very back end of the third quarter, like 32 foot heave, desperation. I don't even really count it uh, when, when I break it down at least. Off of the inside though, goes 9 of 13. That's excellent, like seriously excellent. And to make it even better, six out of those nine makes came unassisted. I think the other three came out of SGA's pocket, but as an isolation scorer, he was eating the Hornets lunch from start to finish in the game. And the biggest oddity, I talked about it, no free throws are really in the mix for Josh Giddy. He averages 11.7 field goal attempts a game. Just gets to the line a measly 1.3 times per game. And 7.8% of his takes are on twos. It's ridiculous. When you compare that to a guy like SGA, he's getting to a line 10 plus times in games and no one bats an eye. If he's getting, you know, five, six in a game, that's top tier for Josh Giddy. The whistle is not going to be out there for him. And I don't know if it's because he's six foot eight, because he is just towering over his guys, or he's not really absorbing contact on hits, but the fouls aren't there. And because of it, He's just had to turn into a dominant force when it comes to absorbing the contact inside, but also positioning himself. And one of the best things that he did while playing in the NBL and going into the summer league was that he is very good at understanding floor spacing once he gets around the mid-range. When it comes to floaters, when it comes to taking those running shots... He knows when to take him. He knows if there's enough room for that shot to go off or if he can just chuck in that uh, dump off pass. And either one works for him. Hell, if he's driving in from the right wing, sees a matchup in the right corner, kind of brings some more heat his way, he's going to kick it to the right corner and you're going to have a really good three-point shot. So just his IQ in those situations are amazing. I think that's why you start to see so many shots fall for him. And hell, maybe it's a factor in why there's not many fouls, just because he's not taking contact on some of these, you know, eight to 10 foot runners that has become a really big part of his bag. And a lot of these are starting to come from the right side. He's not much of a player who likes operating on the left side of the floor, but it hasn't really been an issue thus far. And, you know, 
even without a three shot, he's still looking good. If he can get into the three, though, I mean, you already know my thing. I think a 20-point game is going to be a regular occurrence if that happens. It's going to be a regular occurrence regardless for the 19-year-old. But, man, it is scary. His potential just... (laughs) it's endless man like there is so much to him just not just off of like the physical attributes not off of finishing too i think passing is the best part of his game truthfully and he has wild passes all the time there was one where it was a side out on the right sideline and he just guns it inside to kenrich williams between not just the inbound man defending him but two guys draping him as he's driving into the basket he gets the ball flips it up and gets a foul try already Who's making a pass into double coverage when really that angle to the basket isn't even there because of the inbound man in your way? That's crazy for a 19-year-old. It's crazy for anybody to make that pass, and it's crazy for it to yield any sort of success, but he's doing it, and he's bringing the full package to the OKC roster. So just a very fun player to tack on for the future, and hell, you already know he outplayed James Booknight in that game, man. Easily outplayed him in that game. Uh, but moving on to more of like a long-term thing, right? I want to mention the draft class that we have going on. And we kind of have this solidified top three on most big boards where it has Chet Holdgrum out of Gonzaga. You have Jabari Smith out of Auburn. And then Paulo Blanchero out of Duke. Um, but... It's kind of starting to emerge um, in terms of candidates, and it's because of the induction of one new member. Now, he's not actually entered into the 2022 draft class. However, it has just been released that this guard is eligible for the draft class, and you know, if you're projected to go lottery, you probably should make that move ASAP. But this comes from Jonathan Govoni of ESPN. He noted that Shaden Sharp, five-star prospect in the 2022 high school class, has been given clearance to the NBA draft this year. Now, Sharp is 18 years old, um, but he's still able to pass through it because he's going to turn 19 this year, and also because of a pretty fun loophole uh, that you have with the whole education deal um in the nba and we've seen prospects go overseas go to the nbl go to china for guys like a moutier but for some in the way that sharp's doing it you don't, you don't see it too often and he actually started the 2021-22 school year in high school he was with dream city christian that's a private high school in glendale and what happened was he actually had enough credits to graduate high school before the beginning of the fall semester. He didn't need to be there. He starts playing. I don't know if there's a sudden realization or if that was already in the cards for him to do this, but he ends up dipping out of there before the NBA regular season started in October, enrolls and commits uh, to Kentucky. He committed in September, enrolled this month, and now he's on their basketball team. Um, but I guess since it is going to be a year between the time he dipped out of high school and the time you're seeing NBA tip off, he does make both of the parameters and he's going to be good to go. And with Sharp, you're getting a pretty fun prospect. This dude has a hodgepodge of a lot of different things. Athleticism, shot creation, 
his frame, six foot six, 200 pounds. Might look at the defensive side as versatility potentially too. Uh, and I have not been able to scout him in depth yet. I'm starting to see a lot of these comps to uh, just the shot creation, sort of like a Jalen Green. Now, do I necessarily see it? I don't know if I do, uh, to be honest with you. His high school tape is pretty damn cool though. A lot of high flying dunks, windmills in transition, posterizers. He's all about it when it's talking about going downhill. Um, but you know, other areas, you're starting to see some of these pull-ups for him. He's a pretty nice in between and behind the back leading into some of these shots from distance. His step back doesn't create a ton of space, but it, it does get the job done. And because he is the frame that you typically find at that two guard, it's going to be a plus for you. Uh, but going into this thing and going into the college pool, uh, let's say he, graduated in high school this season he was ranked as espn's top prospect in the class and right now he's pitted at number six in the draft class currently for the nba if he does opt to enter now he doesn't have to but like i said i think it's pretty damn likely he elects to do so and with him now on kentucky i don't know if he's gonna play uh if he does, he can obviously improve or fall in terms of stock, or he can sit on it and just be an enigma. We've seen that before. Jalen Johnson elected to do that with um, Duke last season. Now, he got picked in the 20s by the Hawks, and now he's more of like an in-between player between Atlanta and College Park. But, you know, you can try it and see what happens there. If he is hanging around and he chooses to do that, talking like pick 6 to 14 maybe he could tap in even higher depending on workouts all this and that but he's a lottery guy and for the OKC Thunder this only sweetens the pot for them because they have their own draft pick but they also have an LA Clippers pick that currently is tapping into the lottery and it's likely going to be 10 through 14 if it is a lottery pick I don't think they're going to really free fall like Paul George might be back for the end of the season they have enough veterans to kind of scrape out some games anyways kind of veering at the 500 mark as of right now but if you're able to get two selections in the lottery maybe you can get a package deal to move let's say pick 13 and something else to get a guy like Sharp or let's say they didn't care about Sharp in the first place that's going to be a pick ahead of them where, you know, a prospect that might not be there in a sharpless draft is now they're at their, at their fingertips and they can just take them right then and there. So it makes it fun, adds another element. I'll be doing scouting on Sharp uh, just as I've been doing with some of these other draft prospects. Not sure when I'm going to unravel some of the scouting. I know last season um, before we had the draft, I was all about it every single day. I was talking about the top five, six guys we'll see what we do. Pretty far away from that though. Uh, as of right now, we got the trade deadline on the horizon in about a month's time. So I'll be getting into some of that coverage. If there's anything else, uh, one-off stories or just ideas you want to tell me, make sure to let me know. You can hit me up at my personal Twitter at Ben Kreider, or you can go to the pods at Thunderstick Pod. But anyways, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.